Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 172, and we're going to talk about how to keep your rig neat and orderly and know where all your stuff is. It's a fairly big problem. We're also going to talk about AC switches and DC switches and why they're different a product review of a case that saved my butt the other day, and a tale from the road involving a Land Rover and three wheels. Yes, that was uh, that was a surprising event. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you very much for coming back. I'm once again doing the podcast on YouTube. I'm doing it a little bit different this time. I'm just going to record myself doing the podcast, and that's it. All the extra production stuff I'm not going to do, because I feel like... Again, doing YouTube and doing podcasts, doing both at the same time, just kind of doesn't work. You have to optimize for one or the other. So I'm optimizing for the podcast. I'm talking with my headset on. I'm going to leave it on. And that's just how it is. But for those of you who like watching podcasts and like seeing me flail my arms around, well, you can catch podcasts of this, of built to go on YouTube, and it'll just be me flapping my gums on video as well as audio. I'm not going to add any more content or embellish in any way. I might throw up a picture or two, but that's it. So don't feel like you're missing anything. I know this sounds very much like what I did a few weeks ago, but it's different on my end, and I think it's more sustainable. And um, I really want to be doing video content regularly, and I think this is going to help that. Anyway, before we get started, I have to thank Kent and Liz and Mike for their donations at buymeacoffee.com slash built to go. That's two T's, not three, not one. Thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. All these donations that people send me at the Buy Me A Coffee account help prevent ads from appearing on this show. So the fact that you're not hearing any ads on this show, you can thank Kent Liz, Mike, and everybody else who has bought me a some diesel. Yeah, the, the wording is a little weird there, but I'm just going to go with it. If you would like to buy me a some diesel, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash built to go, and I will appreciate it very much. I also am going to add a little incentive, and I'll talk about that next week. Also, I want to bring up... Um, FNA Van Life. If you remember, I did a special bonus episode with FNA Van Life. They're a popular YouTube channel. They drove all the way down through Central America and they've been living in their van for a long time. Well, their lives have changed considerably. <laughs> if you haven't been following their adventures, I recommend you go to their channel. It's FNA Van Life, FNA Van Life, and go back maybe five or six episodes because. To see where they were in, say, Costa Rica and compare them to where they are now, it's pretty amazing. And if you think you've had a bad time with your van, and remember me complaining about my TPMS light? Yeah, no, nothing, nothing compared to what these guys have been through. And the really cool thing is, despite all the problems they've been having, and they are considerable, they've remained upbeat and ready to go. And I, wow. I just don't know that if I, I, I don't know that I could do it if I were in their situation. So check that out. Okay. Now let's get into this. Look, if you've got a van, you've got a problem. And that problem is that it's really difficult to keep a small space clean, neat, orderly. And I'm not talking about being a neat freak here or, you know, being Oscar and not Oscar Madison, the other one, Felix Unger from the odd couple. Yeah, I'm old. Go with it. And you don't have to be obsessive about it, but you will find that it is difficult to keep things orderly in a van. So 
I've done enough vanning now that I, I have some suggestions for how to overcome this problem. And I, and I do recommend you do overcome this problem. There are folks that just get in their vans and just kind of don't keep up on stuff and they end up just kind of being in a hoarder situation where they wouldn't in a house. It's just there's something about being in a van that you're just like, ah, oh, I have no place to put this thing. And you just put it on the floor or you put it on the bed or any horizontal surface. I mean, the horizontal surfaces get filled up instantly. There are strategies you can do to overcome this and they will make your van life better. So the very first part of this is starts when you're building out your van. Don't think about... I can put a cabinet here, I can put a cabinet here. Think more about, I'm going to store this particular item here. Instead of just building out as many cabinets as you can, think about what you're going to put in them. Now, you know, you're gonna be restricted by space and you're going to have to build to the contours of the van, etc. But before you even build anything, have a list of things you're going to bring with you and know where they're going to go. This will help you measure cabinets and like, let's say you have a tripod that you always want to travel with. Well, where are you going to put that? Are you going to store it upright in the corner in the back of the van or are you going to put it horizontal in a cabinet? Is that cabinet going to be wide enough to hold this thing? You know, that sort of thing. You want to do that with all your important stuff. And, you know, some stuff... This list of stuff, this list of things you're going to store is super important. I know when I built my NV200, I forgot two very important things. One was, astonishingly, the refrigerator or the cooler that I was going to use. I didn't pick a space for that, and that's a pretty big item to squeeze into an NV200. After my second or third rebuild of the van, I finally found a perfect place for it, but I would have saved myself a whole lot of heartache if I had included that on a list at the very beginning. Another thing, and I've heard a lot of people mention this, is people forget dirty laundry. Okay, you know where your clean laundry is going to go. Where's your dirty laundry going to go? And, well, as a side note, I have a system in my van now that works pretty well. I have cube storage. Um, those I, I have an Ikea bookshelf that my bed is on, and I, I'll do a video and talk about this later. But it's an Ikea bookshelf set on its side, and my bed that folds in half, it's kind of a futon, sits on top of that bookshelf. And in the bookshelf nooks there are these square cubes that i can pull out it's a ton of storage space and it doesn't weigh much it actually is a really good solution but i use one of those cubes for clothes and i do it like this i have all my clothes at the bottom of the cube and then i have a travel bag on top and that's where my laundry goes and the reason this works so well is because after my laundry becomes dirty it goes in that bag on top of my clean laundry and it takes up exactly the same amount of space I don't have to have a special place for dirty laundry. It goes where my clean laundry does, but it's separated by the bag. It actually works really well, and um, I, I think it's a, a good scheme for keeping stuff organized. Another thing to think about is trash, and this is kind of a big problem. Where are you going to put your trash? You don't want it out and visible, but you want it to be convenient, and you want it to hold enough to actually work, but you don't want it to have to be too much. And anyway, it, it's actually a serious problem, so make sure you plan for trash. And again, my recommendation for trash is small bags. Those small plastic grocery bags, I know people hate them, but they work really well as trash bags in your van. And then every time you stop for gas, it's no big deal to just throw that away and you'll never have trash building up in your van. Another thing to get in the habit of is that everything has a place. That tripod that you planned for, it goes in one place. 
only that place. It never goes anywhere else. When you're done with the tripod, it goes back in that place. This hugely simplifies things and eliminates a ton of frustration. It does require some discipline and maybe some habit changing, but heck, you can do that. <laughs> you're a dynamic person. You can change. I know you can. And this is why that planning part at the beginning is so important. You need to have a place to put all these things. One of the tricky things is that when you go on a big long van trip, you pick up souvenirs here and there, or maybe things, or you know, you bought a new hat, or you needed a bigger bowl for a salad, whatever. Where does that new stuff go? So another thing is to make sure you plan empty space, space that you're not going to put anything in. In my van, I recently installed an upper cabinet that I had no plans to use on purpose because the idea is this is overflow space and that's exactly what I've been using it for. I found a sale on soup that I like so I bought a lot of extra soup cans. They don't fit where I store my soup but they fit just fine in this little cabinet in the back and that has been great so think about that. Another thing is the things themselves. There's an old adage in van life that everything has to serve two purposes. Basically you can't buy something unless it can do two different things and you know, that's not always practical, but as a rule, it kind of makes sense. So work on that. Work on having the things you do have be multiple purposes and you will have fewer things and thus more space. And make a deal with yourself that every morning after breakfast or every night before you go to bed, but at some time during the day, every day, you're going to put everything away. It can be annoying at times. You can get up in the morning and be like, God, I just want to get out on the road, you know, but I've got the clothes on the floor from last night. There's some dishes and, you know, if you make a deal with yourself that every day by 10 a.m. or whatever, you will have everything put away in the van, your life is going to be much, much better. I do this with myself. I don't do this with myself at home, <laughs> but I do do this with myself in the van and it really is just comforting to know that everything's back where it is. It, it's funny, I feel hypocritical saying this because right now my van has just a bunch of junk on the floor because I've been moving around and stuff. Um, I'm not keeping up to that promise, but I can start again <laughs> anytime I want and so can you. <laughs> Now, this is a big one. I've talked about this before, but once a year, once every six months, whatever fits your schedule, completely empty everything out of your van. Everything. The glove box, the center console, all your cabinets, drawers, everything. Take everything out of your van and lay it out all on a tarp or a driveway or the grass or whatever you have. And then only put back things you've used in the last year. Now, we'll make exceptions for first aid kits and fire extinguishers and other safety things that you kind of don't ever want to use. You know, like that bear spray. You don't want to use that, but you do want to have it, depending on where you're camping. But other stuff like these shirts that you haven't worn in over a year or these dishes you haven't used in over a year or that, you know, popcorn popper that you thought you'd use all the time but never did, whatever. That's, that's the time. If you haven't used it in a year or six months, whatever your schedule is, that's the time to get rid of it. And you can donate it or sell it or throw it away, depending on what it is. And then the final thing, and this is a lifestyle change, is try to minimize how much stuff you have. Just have less stuff. Then, you know, minimalism, uh, one of the basic concepts of minimalism is you have less stuff. And having less stuff 
is freeing. Uh, I'm very much in this mode right now. I'm trying to get rid of stuff as I keep buying stuff because, you know, I got to do these product reviews. You got to buy new stuff, right? Well, I, you know, I, I'm trying to optimize the things that are in the van and not have a lot of extra stuff in there. And my problem now is a little strange is that I am so used to the NV200 size of van that my Sprinter 144 high top seems enormous to me. <laughs> I've got all this space. I've got a lot of empty space. And I'm like, well, I might as well put it in the van. And, you know, it, it, I got to stop doing that. <laughs> I really need to optimize better because, heck, you can always add more water or something important. And yes, weight's a concern. I get it. But you see my point. So, folks, this is a problem that everyone runs into in van life, and uh, the more you do it, the more you will understand what I'm talking about. But it's it's manageable. It's overcomable. So after you've been on the road for your first week and you're frustrated that, ah, there's stuff everywhere and I can't find anything, ah, it's okay. You can fix this. This is a solvable problem. It just requires a little bit of change, and it's not even that much. And then once you adapt to that, everything's going to be great. In fact... I've gotten to the point now where I'm more comfortable in my van than at home or in the Tiki Bago or I have the Scamp. Well, the Scamp hasn't been ready yet, but I love being in the van where I know where everything is and everything I need is right there. All that stuff I don't even have to think about anymore. I can just be. And to me, that's a really big, important part of van life. Tech Talk. So I have probably said this a few times and I've been basically wrong. So let me set the record straight. There is an adage, a saying, an expression, a piece of wisdom that says a switch is a switch is a switch. All a switch does is break a connection. You've got wires that are connected to your switch. And if the switch is closed, it basically makes those wires touch. And if the switch is open, the wires don't touch. That's it. And it doesn't matter if that switch is a household switch or an automotive switch or an AC switch or a DC switch. And yeah, despite me living my life like that for decades and every build I've done has kind of just used whatever switch I had around, uh, it's actually wrong. There is a difference between AC switches and DC switches, and it's not apparent. So I shall explain. AC alternating current uses higher voltage and lower amperage than DC direct current. Also, because AC alternates current, there is a point at which the current kind of is zero. I mean, it's it, this is all math. It's all a sine wave. And if you want to learn the math, you can. I'm not going to try to teach it to you because I'm not sure I understand it myself. But I do know that AC is much easier on a switch than DC. And that means the switches are designed differently. So your normal household light switch is designed differently than that same switch would be designed for a DC use. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, if you're running something like LED lights or something really low amp, low draw, it doesn't mean much. You can absolutely get away with using a household switch to run a, a bank of LED lights. That's not going to matter. But anything with any draw on it, like say, oh, I don't know, a refrigerator or an electric hot pot, something like that, well, then that switch is going to do something called arcing. Arcing is like making a little lightning in the switch. <laughs> and it causes heat. It causes damage to the switch. It's a bad thing. And over time, an AC switch on a DC circuit will fail because it's arced so much. It'll start to melt. It'll start to burn. It's a bad thing. 
So, what does this mean for you? Well, in your build, use DC automotive switches whenever you can. There's a wide variety of them. They're all different shapes and sizes. And don't forget to look for marine solutions because boat people have the same problem and their stuff tends to be heavier duty. If you have a situation where you found the perfect switch, but it's an AC switch, it's meant for a household, if it's low draw, yeah, you can go ahead and use it. It's really not going to matter. For the record, I installed a light switch, a regular household light switch, in between the battery isolator of my 77 Chinook and the rear leisure battery. This is the highest amp connection in the entire vehicle, and I had the whole thing switchable with a regular light switch. Um, and it worked fine, but it wasn't ideal, and over time, it likely would have caused me problems. So, that's it. Don't rip out all your AC switches based on this. Just understand there is a difference, and if you have the choice, use the right switch for the right application. Oh, and by the way, dimmer switches, whole other thing. I should probably address that later, but if you want dimmers, we gotta talk. Product review. A little bit of a strange product review, but I have to sing the praises of this thing that saved my butt on my Colorado trip. It was kind of a shakedown for the van. I, I wasn't entirely sure where I was going to put everything, and I was still experimenting. Now remember, this van was an ambulance. I did not build this out completely from scratch, so I had all these pre-existing cabinets, and I basically had to make my stuff fit what was there rather than making the cabinets to fit my stuff. And thus, there were some things I just didn't know where to put. And one of those is my 16-inch MacBook Pro. Now, 16-inch MacBook Pros are heavy. These are not lightweight laptops. They're heavy, they are big. They're something you kinda wanna hide, you know? You don't wanna leave them around. I was trying to find a place to put this, and I found what I thought was a perfect place. Well, I found out the hard way it wasn't. While I was driving through the mountains in Colorado, um, there was this part where I went over a hill, and the speed limit was 60. And as soon as I got over the crest of the hill, there were brake lights. Because at the bottom of the hill, there was a stoplight. Like the only stoplight on this road. Extremely unexpected. I had to brake really hard. It wasn't so hard that I skidded or anything, but it was hard enough that anything in the back that wasn't nailed down decided to move. And one of those things was my laptop. It was in the back of the van, I slammed on the brakes, and the laptop flew the entire length of the van and smashed into the bulkhead. <laughs> Remember, I said you should have a bulkhead. This is why. If I didn't have the bulkhead, it could have hit me in the back of the head. That would have been a totally different story. When this happened, I heard the bang, and I thought, oh, I hope that wasn't my laptop. And then when I finally stopped and went back to look at the carnage, indeed, there was my laptop on the floor with the lid kind of open. I was like, oh no. But I picked it up, turned it on, and it's totally fine. The laptop's completely fine. And the reason it's completely fine is because of this case I bought for it. And that's the product review, this case. It is a Finti case. That is spelled F-I-N-T-I-E. Finti? Again, these weird names. And it's an extremely rugged case that just snaps onto the laptop, on the lid and the body. It snaps on there. It's very secure, very easy to put on. And it gives you these rubberized corners that really absorb a lot of shock. I mean, I am amazed that I didn't destroy my laptop with this incident. 
I completely give credit to this case. Now, I like the case anyway. It provides nice places for handholds, so it's less likely that you'll drop the case. And its design is such that you can kind of disguise your Mac. Macs are more often stolen than other computers because they're perceived to have a higher value. I mean, they don't always, but that's the perception. Uh, this hides the fact that it's a Mac. In fact, I put a little hook-walk-a-bang sticker over the Apple on the computer, and you absolutely can't tell this is a Mac unless you open the case. It looks like just a generic laptop, and I think that's a good thing. You can get colors and stuff. I just got the clear one because I don't really care about colorizing my computer. But you can if you want. If you really like pink or yellow or blue, they've got these covers too. An amazing thing to me is the price of this thing. Right now, and today is today is Amazon Prime Day, so I don't know, prices are weird right now. I, I should probably do a whole thing on Prime Day. But it's uh, it's 30 bucks. It's 30 bucks. This case saved my laptop and it's only 30 bucks. I'm I'm amazed. I I can't say enough good things about how well this thing protected my Mac. Now, let's talk about the cons. There are a couple. It's a bit heavy, so it adds some weight to your computer, and it does stick out a little bit on the corners because it has to. That's where you get the protection. And probably my biggest complaint is that the part that attaches to the lid of your computer is heavy enough that it affects the spring tension of the cover. Now, Mac laptops are very carefully balanced so that you can easily lift up the lid and it will stay wherever you put it. With this case on the lid, it makes it a little less likely to do that. And the case, while it doesn't really move too much, it, it moves a little bit more than was designed by Apple. And you notice it in some places, like if you lower your lid halfway, it might close on its own and stuff like that. Not that big of a deal, but definitely noticeable. That said, 30 bucks is pretty cheap insurance for your computer. I mean, some of these things cost over $3,000. So uh, yeah, I highly recommend this case. Yes, they make cases for other computers and other different sizes, of course. This is just the one I happen to have. So I've got a link in the show notes. And if you want to just search for it, it's the Finti, F-I-N-T-I-E, case for MacBook Pro. That's really all there is to it. You just have to make sure you match the case to your computer so it fits properly. Tales from the road. Well, I figured I'd tell this tale just so you have some idea about what can happen on the road. I was driving in Texas, which I've done far more often than I've wanted to. <laughs> I was driving to... Where the heck was I going? I don't even remember where I was going. It might have been Arlington. Doesn't matter. But I'm on the highway in Texas, and there was something that was distracting me from driving properly. I don't remember what it was, but something. It was probably something stupid, and it was my fault. But I ended up hitting a road gator. <laughs> now, that is not an actual alligator. A road gator is a trucker term for those tire treads you find on the road. They're from trailers of tractor trailers. The wheels that are on tractor trailers are what's called regroovable. That means that they will peel off the treads and then glue on new treads. And when those things fail, they come off in these strips that some people think look like alligators, hence the term road gator. Anyway, I hit one pretty square on with my right front wheel and, um, okay, got a bump, you know, big deal. I was driving a 2004 Land Rover Discovery Series 2, fairly rugged vehicle with big beefy tires, and I, I didn't think anything of this. It was just another bump in the road. Now, this was before the days of TPMS, at least in this vehicle. I did not have a tire pressure monitoring system. 
and I noticed the vehicle started driving a little strange. It was kind of pulling to the right, and I thought, ah, I'll check it out the next time I stop. I wasn't too worried about it, and I, I kept driving, and, you know, I was like, it's a Land Rover, whatever. I'm just going to keep on driving. I'll stop at the next rest stop. I mean, this this was a very fast, narrow road, and there wasn't a lot of space on the shoulders anyway. And then I started making my own road gators. <laughs> I violent shudder, and I look in the rearview mirror, and there's pieces of rubber coming out from behind the Land Rover. And I had had a classic blowout. My right front tire had exploded on me, and... I was now traveling at highway speeds on three wheels. This is a bad thing. You don't want this to happen. Now, fortunately for me, I was in a Land Rover. Land Rovers are all-time four-wheel drive. True four-wheel drive, all four wheels, all the time. There aren't that many vehicles like that. And it actually was able to compensate for this wheel being destroyed and maintained completely controllable. I wasn't in an emergency stop situation. I had complete control of the vehicle and I was able to pull over to the side and then deal with this problem. And when I got out of the Land Rover and looked at the wheel, I was pretty amazed at the damage. I mean, there was just rubber shreds hanging off the rim and there was basically no tire at all. And somehow I had managed to not destroy the rim. So I did what you do. I changed the tire. And this is when I learned the very valuable lesson of always practice changing your tire before you head out on the road for the first time with a vehicle. Because you learn things when you do this. <laughs> first, you learn where your jack is, how your jack works, how to properly use your jack. And you should check your owner's manual for that because there are places you're supposed to put the jack. And you also learn things like Land Rover wheels are heavy. Now, this type of Land Rover, you mounted the spare on the back door, and you had to have enough strength to take that wheel off of the back door. And I would guess it weighed 75 pounds. I mean, maybe I'm over-exaggerating. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. But it was heavy. I was able to lift that amount, and I was able to swap it out without any problem. And the other part was, and if you've never changed a tire, you might not realize this, but those lug nuts are on there pretty tight. And you often have to stand on the lug wrench to get the nuts loose. <laughs> so on Land Rovers, the lug nuts are enormous. They're much bigger than on other comparable vehicles, and you really have to put a lot of weight on them. At any rate, this ended up being... Uh, not that big of a deal. I was able to change the tire and get back on the road. And I was actually able to use the internet. This was a while ago. The internet was, was it still a thing, but it wasn't that long ago, but you know, I was able to use the internet to order a tire and have it delivered to a shop on the road. And I was able to have them swap it out and everything was fine. It ended up just costing me money like everything. So what's the lesson here? Well, don't drive distracted or you might hit one of these road gators and have this problem. But also I was super lucky. Uh, a blowout in a minivan or something else may not have been as well received by the vehicle. I mean, I don't know what would happen in my Sprinter if that front wheel blew, uh, because my Sprinter is not four wheel drive at all. It's boring, old, normal rear wheel drive. And I just don't know what would happen. And I hope I never find out. And I hope you never find out too. A place to not visit. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so 
I was going to recommend a place to visit, and then I found out it went out of business just last year. Um, and I'll, I'll just mention it briefly so you know, because it's a famous place. It's called Good and Plenty in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's Amish country. Good and Plenty was this fairly unique restaurant where you would go in and you would find no menu and just long tables. And you would be gathered together in a group of strangers, people you didn't know, and you'd all sit at this table together and then they'd bring you food. And that was it. You would basically have an impromptu Thanksgiving dinner with people you've never met before, kind of like extended family maybe, and you would talk about whatever and do whatever and they would just bring you food. Here comes a big bowl of mashed potatoes. Pass that down, please. Sweet potatoes, turkey, chicken, whatever they were serving that day. You just paid a flat price. It was a really nice bit of Americana. The place had been in business in 69 and sadly they closed a year ago and that is going to be turned into a medical facility. So it's, it's all gone. And why did they close? Well, you've got the pandemic. You've got the political divisions in America that make such things more difficult than they used to be and the fact that they couldn't find any young people in their family to run the business anymore. It wasn't interesting to them. So it's kind of a shame. So yeah, you're not going to visit that place. And I figured, well, that's not very exciting. So I'm going to give you another place not to visit, but this place kind of sort of still exists. And that is Centralia, Pennsylvania. Now, Centralia is a fairly famous place because it was the basis for the video game series and movie series, Resident Evil. It is a mining town in, in Pennsylvania. There's a whole bunch of those, South Central Pennsylvania. In the 50s, late 50s, on I believe it was actually Christmas Day, somebody set the dump on fire, which was a normal thing to do. This would, this would be, this was how they reduced the amount of stuff in the dump. They would just set it on fire. And unfortunately, there was some coal that was, it was basically a coal seam that hadn't been mined that was in the dump and it caught fire and it burned and it burned for a really long time and it's still burning today. <laughs> that fire is now underground and still burning and it caused all kinds of problems where people's basements started getting hot and then there was an incident where a kid fell through a hole in the ground and all this hot steam came up around him and you can read about this and watch the videos there's all kinds of information the bottom line is they basically abandoned the town and tore down all the houses except for a few notable holdouts and then for years this was a kind of a, an urban exploration spot because there was a section of highway they had to close because it kept catching fire and there was all kinds of subsidence 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 that's the word steam coming out of the ground and stuff and me uh, I actually went out there once about 15 years ago and drove that same Land Rover on the burning highway because I was not being very smart that day <laughs> this was not a smart thing to do now I know for some of you, this sounds kind of cool, right? Oh, we're going to go see where Resident Evil came from. And we're going to see this burning town and we're going to drive. Yeah, no, don't. And I'm not saying this for your safety, although that's always a concern. I'm saying this because it's all gone now. The highway has been buried. The burning highway is no more. You, you can't go there. It doesn't exist anymore. The buildings that you used to be able to explore, like the miners' shacks and things like that, they're all gone. All the houses are gone. Everything's gone except the cemetery. And the police have starting to take really big notice of folks going there. So if you roll up in your van, you're going to get a knock even while you're sitting in your driver's seat. So just don't go there. 
Centralia is a thing like Good and Plenty that maybe was cool and fun at one time, but it doesn't exist anymore. Find something else better to do. Pennsylvania actually has lots and lots of cool places to visit. So Centralia is not one of those anymore. Find someplace else. Resource recommendation. So living in a van, you have limited storage for food. And if you're like me, you're often trying to figure out what you're going to make from what ingredients you have. For example, oh, I think I'll make some craft dinner, but uh, darn, I don't have any milk. Can I substitute something? Or I don't know what I'm going to make. I've got some chicken, some onions, and some rice. How can I make that interesting? Well, there is an assistant there just for these problems. And that assistant you may have heard of, it's Alexa. <laughs> Oh, geez, I said the word and now all my devices are blinking here. So so let's try an experiment here. I'm going to record this a little differently, but let's see how this works. Alexa, I have onions, rice, and chicken. What can I make with that? Finding some recipes with onions, rice, chicken. Okay, for onions, rice, chicken, here's a few recipes. Now, in some cases, Alexa's not going to be too smart about this, and it's going to, like, add things that you don't have, which is the whole point. But the fact that it can do this, it can you can, like, give it ingredients, and it will give you a recipe, can be helpful if you haven't really thought this through. Now, this was probably a bad example. I mean, you can basically just throw them in a pot and just keep adding seasonings, or maybe a can of soup, or some ramen seasoning, or whatever. That's not a difficult one. But some others maybe it could help with. So just remember, if you have Alexa in your van or on your phone or whatever, you have this enormous resource for little things like this that you may not have thought of. And uh, I don't know, I really like these digital assistants. I know a lot of people hate them and they think they're spying on them and all this kind of stuff. I like them. I find them useful. And uh, this is just another way to use them that maybe you hadn't thought of. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 172. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And again, we're going to keep experimenting with YouTube and podcasts and getting it all to work. At some point, it's going to work. This might not be the week. Maybe next week. We'll see. Until next time, you can get a hold of me at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. And remember the words of Christine Kane, who said, Sometimes when you're in a dark place... You think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. <laughs>